tonight on Unsolved Mysteries. Edgar Casey, Crystal, and War of the Depews. I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your other co-host, Robert. And this is Reenacted, an Unsolved Mysteries podcast. And boy, is it a special one. Ex- extra special. Robbie, we've been doing this for a little over two years now. Yeah. And we have finally made it to... What episode are we on? We are officially on episode 50. <laughs> uh, depending on how you count them. That's, I mean, considering um, all of our obstacles that we've had to overcome. (laughs) (laughs) I know, it is amazing. Like, we've managed to keep this podcast going even through, like, periods of Mm -hmm. quasi-homelessness. All sorts of stuff. Yeah, and I, you know, I would be, my goal was to get to 50. So anything, anything beyond this episode is just bonus, I think. For me personally, I don't know how you feel about that, but I, I have achieved. I think we are, we're achieving something that I set out to achieve. Um, you never mentioned to me that you had a goal. This is obviously something that was sort of in the back of your mind. Yeah, I just I wanted to get to a nice even number, hmm. and I feel like fifty. I mean, if you let's see, most of our podcasts, and we're not including minisodes or Patreon only episodes here, so. We've made uh, 50 of these, the first one, which was uh, removed and now lives on the Patreon-only feed, if you want to listen to that mess. But ostensibly, we have recorded, after this, we will have recorded uh, something like 60 hours of content. Uh, uh. So That's a lot. That's nothing to shake a stick at. And that, I mean, that's <clears throat> just what's been released. That doesn't include all the time that we've put on the back end of you know when i was editing it and then you know planning and discussing and all that so i really think we should be uh, patting ourselves on the back for that all right did did, Uh, could you hear that yeah i heard it (laughs) (laughs) i i see we're just moving along and pretending it didn't happen Uh, yeah we're just gonna okay Uh, so you robbie you're a little you're a little under the weather it sounds like I am. I have some sort of cold or something, courtesy of Melanie Cooper. Not the Melanie Cooper that participated in a prison break in one of our previous episodes, but the real-life no, Melanie Cooper I know who happens to share the same name. Um, um, and you were a little concerned because you met a, you know, a VIP this week. You're a little concerned you may have given this person an illness. Yes, if... Um, if anyone out there watches the January Democratic debate and they notice that Amy, Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota seems to have a scratchy voice or um, uh, her nose is sniffling a little, uh, that that was probably me because I, I got to meet her yesterday. Um, uh, which, concerning that, the thing I've noticed is politicians are a lot like actors in that when you meet them in real life, they are very, very tiny people. 
It's true. Yeah, like, I mean, like, Amy Klobuchar does not, like, barely even reaches my shoulders. I, she, mm-hmm. she was just like... Well, you're you're over six feet tall. Though. I am. I am. True. Uh, but God, when I saw her, like, I was like, oh, gosh, she's so short. It just, like, made her seem really cute. And I just wanted to, like, hug her. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But you, but you restrain yourself, I hope. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> admittedly, that was partially due to just fear, because I, 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 I know the stories about her, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think we've all at one time wanted to pick up Amy Klobuchar like a little baby and just carry her around. Yeah. But I, I was thinking like teddy bear doll. That's that's oh, something okay. their campaign store should look at, like a little Amy Klobuchar teddy bear thing. Yeah, Klobby the. Clobby the bear. Clobby <laughs> the bear. Uh, uh, we, I, I, we need to write this down. I think this, this is, uh, this is potentially uh, a, a real money maker. Um, I'm, none of the other candidates have teddy bears in their online stores. No, don't they? I feel like uh, there should be. There's probably got to be like a Bernie Sanders, Bernie the bear. No, you know the the iteration iteration on that seem makes it seem huh. like it would be a natural thing, but I don't, I I'd have to go back and check. But the last time I did my survey of all the different candidate stores, uh, I did not see any stuffed bears. In fact, one thing I noticed was there was even a dearth of tumblers. Mm. Very few people were pitching tumblers, and I usually like I I like to try to get at least one tumbler each presidential election mm-hmm. but none none were no one no one thought to be selling them like a couple of people are selling coffee cups and that's about it mm-hmm. hmm. yeah tumblers are uh you know i used to work at a university they were like the number one swag we would hand out ah yeah they're cheap they're cheap and easy to produce i guess it's weird that no one's going for that I guess uh i guess the candidates don't want you to have um Portable drinks. I guess not. Hey, um, speaking of nothing at all, I thought it'd be nice for our 50th episode <laughs> <laughs> to uh, break out uh, some reading material. Yes. Here. Once again, it's been a while um, since I have read a passage from Straight Shooting by Robert Stack. Uh, Robert Stack's <coughs> uh, semi-autobiography that was gifted to uh, the podcast by one... Uh, Nicole, a good friend and uh, no, super fan of Reenacted. Yes, yes. I feel like I, I, I can't help but wonder whether she feels like she's getting her uh, her money back on that because, like, we've only done like a couple of segments based off this, but I guess it really just all depends on whenever you find content worthy of mentioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't give a lot of thought to this, to be honest. But um, the other thing I want to mention, if, in case you're new to Straight Shooting with Robert Stack, or by Robert Stack, um, this was authored before his Unsolved Mystery Days. So it, was, so it doesn't, we don't get any behind-the-scenes tales of shooting Unsolved Mysteries, but Robert Stack was, for a time, um, a hot young actor uh, in old-timey Hollywood. So there's some good uh, there's some good anecdotes in here, and and I'm gonna read a kind of a long passage here. So I'm gonna set it up because I thought it was relevant not only to the second segment that we're gonna talk about mm-hmm. later um, in the pod, but also uh, because it, it 
really it presents its own unsolved mystery here. So the this is from chapter eight. Uh, it's called Deidre. Um, here's the deal. Uh, Robert's, uh, Robert Stack is having dinner at an uh, Italian restaurant in Hollywood close to, where is it? Uh, some studio that doesn't exist anymore on Gower. <laughs> anyway, uh, so he has, he has given this woman that I'm about to read, read about, uh, the, uh, pseudonym of Deidre, but he's apparently dropping enough clues so that the reader may pick up which famous actress he was talking about. Ooh. Um, and I have no idea who this woman is because I'm not a hundred thousand years old. So if anybody <laughs> ah. at the end of this passage can uh, let us know, yeah, if you're if you're a listener, who they think it is, who remembers the golden age of Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. So if you get any context clues in the passage I'm about to read, please uh, drop us a line. Um, so here we go. All right. I'm gonna. I'm reading. I'm reading straight shooting. Okay. Here we go. How does it feel, Bobby, to face an animal that wants to kill you, she purred. I've always wanted to know. She spoke in that breathy, urgent voice so familiar to millions. Until then, I'd only enjoyed these sensuous tones on the silver screen. If he digs death in the bullring, she had to be thinking. He can't be as square as I thought. She caressed her lovely lips with her pink tongue and continued to cast her spell. Why not drop out of the house so you can explain it to me? The helper on vacation, and we won't be disturbed. With Ooh. this, she slowly broke eye contact and walked away as only she could. My chum gave me a lascivious grin, and I hastily paid the tab and ambled out as casually as I could. Her house was nestled on top of Mulholland Drive with a dandy view of the city. As I walked into the living room, I noticed the view because the house lights were romantically dimmed, and I almost broke my neck stepping down to the sunken <laughs> living room floor. Fix yourself a drink. I'll be right out. Came from what I figured was the bedroom. She had poured gin on the rocks, and I was about to add a small amount of vermouth when she appeared. Actually, she had been standing in the shadows watching me make the drink and then stepped into the moon's path. She was wearing a filmy, shorty nightgown, which slowly seemed to disappear as she moved into the backlight. She looked like early UFA still of Dietrich in the Blue Angel, only in her birthday suit. I stood there holding the vermouth bottle midair, giving fervent thanks to Duke Wayne for casting me in Bullfighter. She took the glass from me and purred. How did you know I like my martinis without vermouth? She smiled that famous smile. Tell me, Bobby, how does it feel? Great, I said, just great. I mean to face something that wants to destroy you. Is it exciting? My God, it must be. I thought, who should know better than you, my pet, who has wounded more male vanities and caused more potential suicides than anyone in town? But I made myself the largest martini I could and dutifully played out the game. She nestled in the big leather chair and it looked at me and looked at me as if I were telling her a bedtime story, which I hoped I was. When I got to the part about choosing the fighting bulls on horseback with Bodicher, she said, But what would have happened if the horse had fallen or stuck his foot in the gopher hole? I gave it my best David Niven roguish grin and said, Those are the risks. I was beginning to feel strangely lightheaded after only one martini, so I made another. Now it really became interesting. She began to tell me about a good-looking young couple she had recently met. A charming pair of kids who someone said liked to share sex. Deidre professed a certain amazement at the idea of a foursome, but then suggested <laughs> asking them over for a drink a little later. 
My beautiful nymphomaniac was slowly moving in and out of my focus, and my head seemed to be filled with carpet tacks. My knees suddenly began to tremble, and perspiration began to stream down my face. If this was passion, I thought, something must have gone wrong with the machinery. When my teeth began to chatter, I knew I was in trouble. This was definitely not healthy lust. It was the flu. Of all the miserable, lousy, putrid times to get it, this had to take the case. <laughs> my potential roommate noticed my condition. She put her hand on my blistering brow and said soothingly, Poor baby, you're sick. You'd better get to bed. I really was sick because I mumbled, I'm sorry, I've got the flu and I don't want you to catch it. I'm really sorry. I staggered to my car and drove home to bed, cursing all the way. <laughs> I sweated my way through three pairs of pajamas during the night before the phone rang mid-morning with a cheery Jill Stewart on the other end. Get your butt out of bed, we're going to the bullfights. Two tickets on the shady side, I won in a gin rummy game. I was about to beg off when I stood up, and then wonder of wonders, I felt fine. The flu had only been the 12-hour variety. So, let's chat about that. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, <clears throat> lot there. Um, A lot of details to get into this mystery. Mm-hmm. Robert, um, are you, why am I calling you Robert? <laughs> <laughs> Call me Bobby. <laughs> Bobby, um, did you pick up on who that might have been he was talking about? Okay, so she, um, she's apparently, uh, she, she must have been a significant actress because he talked about all the hearts and, you know, that, that she's, uh, rendered right. out and near suicide she's caused and i i assume that when he mentioned something about seeing her walk away that she must have had she must have had like a fairly decent butt right yeah she had that ass yeah and then uh and then we know that apparently she really has a thing for like uh i guess her turn on is life and death situations possibly specifically dealing with like ferocious animals mm -hmm. I, I i don't i don't know who it was i don't either but there's uh, i'm calling bullshit on this entire story oh you think it's like it's entirely fabricated um i think parts of it are okay i think specifically the, the dialogue and the thing with this the nighty and the moonlight because let me let me game this out a little bit okay Okay, so she's a highly desired famous actress. Mm -hmm. That I believe. Um, the line about... And there's no... And I didn't skip anything. Yeah. Okay. Robert Snack was allegedly sitting in an Italian restaurant having dinner with a friend. She comes over to the table out of the blue and says, like, let's get up to the house and bone down. Okay? Yeah. Um, who does that? <laughs> 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 okay yeah who does that let alone a highly desirable famous actress then we get up to the scene in the house and she's like you know she's uh i'm, I'm assuming she, she's not uh, betty davis but you know she's betty davising all over the place mm -hmm. um with uh you know like that's how i like my martinis and then she's already wearing a nightie and like like, lady, we know you're down. You don't have to try so hard. <laughs> and especially if you're like that. I mean, maybe she just wants, she want, knows what she wants and she wants to cut the chase. Okay, that's fine. But like, uh, I don't know. There's just parts about it that seems like the way a man would write uh, a fantasy. And not the way an actual 
woman, let alone a beautiful, highly desired woman, would act. Like, there's just parts of this that don't add up for me. What do you think the odds are that uh, the reality of this is this, this, this actress came up to Robert Sack and his friend while they were eating in the Italian restaurant and, you know, <clears throat> had some uh, positive things to say about his role in the bullfighter film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, then she left. And then Robert Stack had this elaborate fantasy that played out in his mind. Yeah. And either <laughs> is just substituting it for the boring story or maybe just at some point lost the ability to distinguish <laughs> whether that was a fantasy or what really happened. Right. And there's plausible deniability because nothing really did happen because allegedly he got the flu and then was fine 12 hours later. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, I, well, you know, what's interesting though, so far in these stories that you've read out of the book is, yeah. you know, Robert Stack, uh, yeah, uh, even if he's putting exaggeration in them, he still has been striking out so far. <laughs> Like the- yeah, I mean, it's like imagine. I mean, I haven't read the whole book, but imagine like if I wrote my autobiography and it's and it's just full of stories about people I almost slept with. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like how how lame would that be? <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> oh. I mean, it would basically be chalked up to like, yeah, I saw a hot guy at a bar once, and nothing happened. <laughs> <laughs> like what? <laughs> it would. Would be rather anticlimactic. It, well, this, that's well. Anyway, would you like to talk about season three, episode twenty of the show Unsolved Mysteries? Yes, let's talk about season three, episode twenty of the show Unsolved Mysteries. Our first segment is actually about Edgar Casey, the famous psychic healer guy <laughs> i i interpreted it the more we get into the segment is that he was famous for sleep learning right had you have you had you heard of him before this um i i mean i had heard the name and i had the association that he was some kind of medium but i didn't know any yeah okay more any than that. specifics yeah um this is basically <clears throat> um just basically a, a segment that's done to to uh, just do a little overview of Edgar Casey. <clears throat> there's not really <clears throat> not only a call to action. There's not really a mystery here, except whether Casey was full of BS or not. Um, they start out interestingly enough with a reenactment of a modern day woman getting an eye exam. They talk about. Uh, her particular story is she woke up one day and there was like a dark spot in her field of vision that she just didn't see. Yeah. And uh, we get, in- Oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you, you, you talk. I think you're about to say the thing I was going to say. It was it about, we get a point of view uh, shot. Yeah. Of her? yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's exactly what I was going to point out. <laughs> one of the more exciting parts of the segment um yeah just like we get like the, these neat little shots of her field of view and you see progressively this gray spot keeps getting mm-hmm. bigger and bigger so she finally she goes to a off op- ophthalmologist 
an eye doctor and he's like hey this could be potentially be serious you you might end up going blind i'm not saying you necessarily are but it is a possibility <clears throat> and so we then transition to a short biography on edgar casey's life mm-hmm. uh which leads us through a series of vignettes from his life, uh, all of them involving fascinating reenactment aspects. The first being uh, that, like, apparently they depict that he had he had had trouble studying as a young kid, and he apparently had the ability to fall asleep on the book and learn everything in the book. Now you use mm-hmm. the term sleep learning or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is sleeping on a book and learning stuff from it an actual thing then, or, or, or um. alleged thing <laughs> rather? I should say. I think sleep learning is more like the practice of like listening to an audiobook while you're sleeping. Oh, okay. And then the theory that you're absorb you're it taking in that information. Yeah. So it it's not that people have suggested. God, you know, when I saw when I saw them depict this on the segment, my mind immediately went to like how useful this would have been in graduate school. Oh my god, so useful. I wish I wish I had had this power. Yeah. Just of just being able to like lay down on a book and learn it. Right, right. Damn, I mean you you could hammer out an entire seminar within a, a week. Yeah. Doing that. Yeah, you could. You know, I was thinking about they're describing Edgar when he was a a child anyway this power of like absorbing the books um it re- it kind of reminds me of like in an rpg but specifically like skyrim <laughs> okay when you're walking around and you can like pick up a book and then you press like x to read it mm-hmm. you don't actually have to read it just the act of having found it in the world and then like interacting with it and then you get like one of your skills gets leveled up by a couple points. Right. It reminded me of that. What level do you think Edgar Casey's character is in Skyrim? He's got he's got to um, be like a level thirty cleric or something, right? Yeah. Well, in Skyrim, you can go up to level ninety nine. So he was definitely like probably high eighties. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 I uh, I've never played Skyrim, but. If there was an option to create a character that looked just like Edgar Casey, yeah. <laughs> I think I would do it. Well, you know, having to control that X, X and Y axis might might fuck you up a little bit <laughs> on the controller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh. So yeah, I and I like the reenactment where the father comes in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he takes this is where Casey realizes his ability. He takes the book out. It's like, okay, boy, we're going to see if you've been uh, studying like you should. And then, mm. then he ch- challenges Casey to spell out the word cabin. Yeah, but this, this is supposed to be like 13-year-old Casey. <laughs> I know. <laughs> God, I laughed so hard when that, mm-hmm. when that happened. <clears throat> But apparently, not mm-hmm. only could Casey spell out the word cabin, he apparently had the entire book memor- memorized, page mm-hmm. numbers and all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so they sort of depict him like uh, 
was it like was it he he lost the ability to speak at some point right uh yeah i think when he was an older teen yeah older teen maybe early yeah. 20s and couldn't speak for a year and then they hypnotized him and in his hypnotized state where he he reveals these things he he described what needed to be done to to fix the problem in his throat mm-hmm. okay but here's what i don't get As, putting aside the fact that he is now talking while hypnotized mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh putting that aside yeah when he wakes up no one did anything he just woke up and he felt better. He could mm-hmm. speak. Didn't he like clear his throat? Yeah, like he sp- he spat up a little bit of blood. But like, how does that? How does? Uh, okay, let me introduce a theory here okay. about Casey briefly, and and I think it may be supported by what comes later in the segment. Mm-hmm. Is it possible, given the? savant sorry if that's not a good word to use anymore the savant like way that he was able to learn from books and the period of not speaking later in life is it possible he may have been on the autism spectrum somewhere and no one like knew there wasn't like a formalized criteria to diagnose people that way back then that's actually a pretty good uh a hypothesis that yeah like yeah because they um you know, he had no one knew what autism was at the at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I I I could buy that as a as potentially a something that was going on. Mm-hmm. So, with having discovered this ability, he then proceeds to try to use it to help other people who are suffering from uh, seemingly uncurable illnesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And surprise, surprise, people start then trying to use it in order to get him to reveal the results of like sporting matches and what the stock market's going to do. And mm-hmm. he becomes sufficiently disgusted by this. He sort of withdraws from this life of being a psychic healing person, mm-hmm. gets married, has a couple of kids. And it's not until one of his kids has an accident in the dark room. <laughs> Well, Casey's a photographer. He's like does family portraits at this point yeah. in time. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if family portraits at this point still involve the use of gunpowder. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, when they get into the details of how his child was injured, that's why I was laughing. Just the kid, the eight-year-old child was playing with matches <laughs> in the dark room <laughs> and then blew up this chemical that was highly volatile in his face. Yeah. That's, um, there's a, I mean, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, they're doing what kids do best, getting themselves injured. Um, you know, it's funny, like the mention of dark room, it reminded me of, uh, I don't know if we've talked about this. Did you watch stranger things? I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you watch that? The, the third season? Mm hmm. I don't know if you've read this anywhere, but I guess mm. like during the run of the third season of Stranger Things, there was a huge uptick in uh, the number of people who were online looking up what the purpose of a red room is. 
because the the one character the one character who's oh yeah doing the photography okay. yeah. he's, he's in that develop development room with the red light mm-hmm. and i right. and and i guess obviously for the people under a certain age right that just was, was like what's he doing in there oh yeah i mean i I don't know. I'm old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, of- <laughs> yeah. I, I totally like. I mean, you know, the idea that someone would be in a, in a room where they're developing film seems natural to to me as well. But yeah, I well, yeah. I did a lot of f- photography in high school, and our our high school had a dark room that was pretty sophisticated. Oh, so wow. Um, I don't know if that's still a thing <laughs> <laughs> that schools have. Honestly, now that I think about it, so. Yeah, definitely didn't want to be lighting any matches in there. Oh, the stuff in there is combustible as well? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, there's all kinds of chemicals and shit there. <laughs> uh, no smoking. Um, so Edward, Edward, Edgar, <laughs> Casey. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he, he, goes, he goes under again in order to get the, <clears throat> the cure for his son, which apparently mm-hmm. involves throwing acid in his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it works. It sun- well, sometimes you gotta fight fire with fire in your eyes. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Casey then resumes his his spiritual here his psychic healing uh, mm-hmm. work. Um, apparently, originally he was only going to do two a day, but he started getting up to like seven eight or nine times mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and they have this <clears throat> magnificent thing in the reenactment where they're depicting all the letters that are coming into him of people begging for his help and like you got post office employees that are driving a truck uh, up and unloading gigantic bags they're carrying in full of all these letters can we can we go back to something with this? Uh, we're so we're back in the segment on uh, this lady who was going blind. Yeah. And the segue from her um, affliction to Edward Case was that she had gone to the doctor, and the doctor had recommended uh, taking steroids. Yeah. And she said she was really against steroids. There's no further explanation to that. Well, she probably um, believes in fair play and sportsmanship, so. <laughs> I, I guess so. Uh, so anyway, so she's like, listen, then I went to another doctor who was familiar with the um, prescriptions of Edgar Casey. So now we're at the part of the segment where we're going to be introduced to that doctor who is not a who is not a doctor? <laughs> I, I I was waiting for you to to opine on that. Yes. So he goes from being in the beginning of the segment from being a doctor to now he's a chiropractor. Mm-hmm. And um, whatever, that's fine. But let's not conflate the two things <laughs> because one of those things requires a lot more schooling than the other thing. And uh, anyway, so. So the chiropractor starts making adjustments to her neck or whatever, which fixes some kind of thing on her optical nerve. I also want to point out right now that your optical nerve is not tied to anything in your neck. Oh. 
goes goes through your brain and then yeah. it's connected to your brainstem and then your spinal cord. So I'm not really sure how adjusting your bones in your neck. What do you think the would... odds are this woman can still see in the current day? Um, low, yeah. I would say. Yeah. So she, I don't, and I honestly don't know what steroids would do, but I know that you get prescribed steroids for things, anything from like arthritis to um, all kinds of stuff. At least she'll be so, able to bench press a whole lot more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, chiropractors are not doctors. Uh, and because I was like at the beginning of the segment, she's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to see a doctor that's like familiar with Edgar Casey, And I'm like, what medical association doctor <laughs> is going to be like, let's see what this psychic had to say about this. Yeah. So um, what do you think is the real deal here with uh, well, Edgar Casey? Um, you know, I really haven't investigated him too thoroughly. I mean, even when I looked him up on Wikipedia in conjunction with watching the segment, I just scanned through it for like 10 seconds. Um, I'd be really interested to like, uh, I really, I feel like unless you can like show me the complete data set of everyone he prescribed for and what the results were, I, I... I, I, I have no idea. I, I'm, I'm very skeptical by nature, so... I, uh... I don't think, uh... I don't know. Frankly, like... The fact that, like... Because one of the things I did see is apparently mm -hmm. he predicted that in 1958, the United States would discover the uh, heat ray that was developed by the city of Atlantis... Mm-hmm. Now, as far <laughs> as I know, that hasn't happened. So and mm. especially like someone else uh that we knew in graduate school, I we mm -hmm. that I had a conversation once with, she was looking at different options for where to move to in the United States. And she didn't really like the intent she didn't like the cold. So I was like, I guess you gotta move to like the southwest or the south. But she didn't want to live in the south. Just like uh, it just wasn't her her scene, though she would potentially make an exception for Atlanta, but she was hesitant to move there because, uh, and I, I don't know if I'm confusing this with another psychic healer who also made predictions about the future, but mm -hmm. like I think she said that Edgar Casey said that uh, had predicted that there was going to be this catastrophic. Disaster and much of the South, including Atlanta, was going to be underwater. Mm -hmm. uh, as far as I know, <laughs> that has not happened either. But I don't know when when no. the when the expiration date was supposed to be for that one. <laughs> uh, you know, it's possible Edward Casey was just getting out in front of climate change. Oh wow! You know that could be it. Uh, hey, Robbie. Um, should we talk about uh, Fear and Loathing in Los Angeles? <laughs> Segment two here is uh, Unexplained Death. Mm -hmm. And um, there's some B-roll footage of like young women coming to Hollywood, get off the bus and 
trying. I, I mean, I don't know how a, things work. A mass of women. They're not. This this is like this is dozens of buses worth of young ladies just lining up and like some studio guys just walking along like mm-hmm. no 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 you you no mm-hmm. basically well so fast forward to the present day actually 19 early 1980s yeah doesn't matter um there's a there's a woman named Crystal Spencer mhm um the reason i part of the reason i i wanted to talk about or take the lead on this segment because a little behind the scenes action here robbie and i usually have a little discussion before we start recording about who's going to take the lead Mm -hmm. on each segment and i thought it wise not only because uh this takes place in in my adopted hometown but also to cut down on confusion Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> because if Robbie were to talk about Crystal Spencer and he keeps saying Crystal and Crystal, then I'd be like, what? No, I, <laughs> I see. Okay, I didn't quite approach it from that angle, but I can see where that actually would make sense where you want to want to uh right, right. To avoid so, that being to, so for everyone listening, I am not speaking of myself on the third person. I am talking about Crystal Lene Spencer, who was born in Ukiah, California. That's up north. Um, mm-hmm. She always wanted to be an actress. She unfortunately had some hit some bumps in her young life that kind of put that dream off for a little while. She uh, had to help raise her uh, younger siblings. And so she uh, finally, at the age of 23, decides to make the move down to L.A. Uh, we get some, like, okay-ish, like, headshots. <laughs> um, like glamour shot wow. type things from uh when you know when you say okay-ish you you had a very critical tone to your voice i, mean, I, I don't it- i don't think anyone looked good during this period of time so okay yeah. do you know what i'm saying yeah okay you yeah, know I, I concur from that uh, you, you know it's funny like often i'll look at pictures of act actresses or just women mm-hmm. from like decades and decades ago mm-hmm. and they just don't seem as attractive as contemporary women um yeah i was thinking a lot about this uh in our i mean okay like objectively i think if you took everyone's perm and horrifying eye makeup off <laughs> right i think yeah. women from the the late mm, yeah it gets kind of weird in the late 70s through the 1980s early 90s I think if you kind of like toned it down, they were, I mean, empirically as attractive as women from any other period. Okay. It's, it's just a really bad, I think we've discussed this before. It's just like a really bad time for fashion and for how people like adorn themselves. Yeah. Would you agree with that? I certainly won't disagree. (laughs) Similarly, I think if you were to go back in time and look, there's, it's not on Twitter anymore, but there was a guy who was uh, tweeting Getty images from movie premieres from like the late nineties, early two thousands. Yeah. Um, and some of the styling, even on like celebrities at movie premieres from like the early two thousands, I would say is pretty bad too. Cause there was like a real penchant for like, 
like really shiny fabrics and clothes that were like too tight and really yeah. dark lipstick with like chokers. It was like pseudo goth, but it like didn't work for everyone. <laughs> like, like yeah. two, 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002 was also a really bad time. I think. Um, whereas I feel like people, there's enough variety in style and how people present themselves. Now there isn't just like big hair and lots of eyeshadow. is isn't just the look for women. Yeah. Um, I think people now, if you were to see pictures of them in the future, you really wouldn't be able to tell like what decade they were from. Right, right. Do you know what I'm saying? Like things have been kind of toned down. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd say you're correct. Okay. You're correct. Yeah, it's uh, it, just, just, it was just a horrible time for hair. A horrible just a time for makeup. Do you ever like wonder how, like I think about everyone that's our age and maybe a little bit younger like how did your parents even like fall in love and reproduce everyone looks so <laughs> terrible i guess if you're around at the time you just didn't like you weren't able to distinguish like you just you know beauty was in the eye of the beholder i i guess so but i also wonder where, why did everything get so extreme you know like can we blame all of it on cocaine <laughs> well certainly like usually my go-to explanation for anything in the night uh, 80s 95 percent of the time i always chalk it up to cocaine mm -hmm. um well i don't know like isn't it just like fashion just like goes crazy just all the time i mean god look look at the entire entire stretch of uh, of the history of what people wore i mean in the history of mankind it's just mm -hmm. always changing and always crazy yeah i just really think in all of mankind maybe the 1980s were the worst interesting <laughs> wow like of the vibe the, was bad. <laughs> the I, uh, was bad i wasn't quite expecting that but that's an interesting take the 1980s were the worst time yeah. for all of human history fashion yeah uh what would you say is the best time um you know i'm gonna speak from the female point of view yeah um you know, i i think there's a good period during you know napoleonic time Ah. Uh, there's a nice empire waste situation the, because corseting kind of fell out of fashion there. And I think some of the, the dresses and stuff from that time are really beautiful. So, and like the hair was a little bit more toned down than it had been in the 18th century. Yeah. Um, you know, that was like, that was a good time. So, I think so basic, basically Regency era. Yeah. I think, uh, and I'm also speaking only to like the Western like euro north right. american because i fuck i know what was going on in like you know <laughs> Iranian fashion at this time. Fashion, yeah i have no yeah. idea um <laughs> yeah yeah no but i, I also I, think like worldwide the 1920s was nice too because like the hemlines came up again corsets have gone out of fashion um there's some like really smart haircuts going on um I, yeah, I admire I that. that I admire that the two time periods you you've mentioned seem to be mostly geared towards comfort. Yes, uh, but looking good, <laughs> like not like how I'm, dude. I'm so glad we don't do this on video because I look awful oh, right now. But I'm comfortable. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it was it was comfort. It was comfort without sacrificing fashion. I think. Right, right, right. Not not like Robbie type comfort. Where yeah, not I just like lo- Crystal on a Sunday afternoon type. Where where I just look like a bum. Uh, I don't bum know. You casual. sent me that picture picture of you and Klobuchar. You look pretty sharp in that. Yeah, I dressed up for that. Then immediately okay. I got home and I put on this like same top I've been wearing for like four or five days. <laughs> hey, ain't nothing. It's got wrong like with that. pizza roll sauce all over it. Oh my god, so hot! Yeah, right now. Oh, oh I bet. pizza rolls. Mm. I fa- I've d- I've discovered I can cook them in the pan. So oh, you fry them up? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, is yeah. this going to be on your uh, recipe blog? <laughs> I'm saying. <laughs> I am. I am. I. I cannot cook. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't agree with that. But please continue. <laughs> I can. Well, I can. You know, with a lot of time or preparation, I can approximate cooking. Uh-huh. But I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, you mean like, like do- you put put things together and you're like, this is what I think humans like to eat, <laughs> dude. <laughs> I mean that Middle Eastern dinner I try to make, like the falafel, the falafel disintegrated to pieces when so we tried. So fucking what? There was a nice chicken stew. We had other foods. Okay, okay. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I, you know, not everything I make is a hundred percent success. Yeah. Sometimes I fall flat on my face, but I keep trying. You know. Yeah. But I consider yeah. myself like a pretty good cook. So. Okay. Cool. Cool. Um, what the hell were we talking about? <laughs> uh, the, the, the horrible fate that Chris, befalls yes. women who go to Los Angeles yes, to become actresses. Yes. Okay. Well, so here's the deal. Um, lo and behold, you know, Crystal gets a couple of, uh, here and there jobs, uh, but you know, her acting career two years in isn't really going the way she thought it would. Um, so she becomes an exotic dancer, a dancer for money. Um, Making $400 a night? A night and tips. Can we stop on this for a moment? Okay. I don't know how many nights she was working. And I know that $400 a night was like the maximum that they're quoting. Yeah. But let's say she's not even working full time. She's doing four nights a week. She's pulling in probably $1,200 to $1,600 a week. Mm -hmm. In 1980s money, that is doing exceptionally well. As a failed actress, that is doing exceptionally well. If she was doing that right now as a you know twenty something year old woman, she would be making more than most production assistants. That's that's higher than I think scale for like walk on roles for yeah. actresses. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, no, so, it is. Like, this so is this ain't no shame in the game, Crystal. Like she yeah. was doing okay. Also, she lived alone. She had her own apartment. God, come on. She was. Her I, friends I, are talking about how she was ashamed. She shouldn't have been. That's ridiculous. She was doing good for herself. Yeah, I'm exceedingly jealous of her uh, yeah, at the moment. I would, if I was, yeah, if I only had to work a couple nights a week and I was making four, yeah, like I would probably do that. But I'm 35 years old and people would probably rather pay to have me put my clothes back on. <laughs> so that is not a lucrative profession for me. I can only imagine, like, and if I took my clothes off, that that's going to be a police situation very quickly. <laughs> so... <laughs> Well, Robbie, I think it really depends on the context. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so but yes. yes. <laughs> um. Anyway, do you think there's something? Listen, 
I, and I feel like I can speak on this because my name is also Crystal. Um, I feel like when you name your kid that, you're kind of resigning them to a certain fate. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 what's, what's the fate? Just to, um... Taking your clothes off for money. That's the, <laughs> that's the fate. You have named your child Crystal. Um, there's going to be like a high likelihood they're not going to be like a famous actress or a doctor. Um, I did once on television, though... Uh, see a woman who's younger than I am. I think it was some Netflixy science show. Yeah. And she was like a biologist and she was Dr. Crystal or whatever. And I just stood up and applauded. I was like, girl, ah! you broke the mold. You did it. <laughs> way, to, way to exceed expectations. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is I kind of feel like I get what you're saying, but I kind of feel like the exotic dancing stripping etc pornography type stuff really happens more if you're crystal with a k than crystal with a c am i wrong in that i think so yeah i think it's just any crystal <laughs> okay but okay. all that but like lim- but let me also like break this down a little bit um so there is a str- and i'm i'm not necessarily throwing my parents in with this group because I know why I have my name, mm-hmm. but there is a strong tendency for parents that are lower income to try and name up their child. Yeah. So for example, um, p- names that were really popular in the 1980s, like Tiffany, um, Crystal, Crystal was like the number eighth most popular girl's name in the year that I was born. Interesting. Um, my parents thought they were being really unique. <laughs> Good job, guys. Uh, so, um, so there's a tendency to try and like name up your kids, but yeah. then after a time, that name becomes associated with the lower classes. So it's rich people like don't name their kids that. So right. I mean, just I'm um, just hold on to your hats because there's going to be an influx of exotic dancers named like I mean I'm sure they're already there named like Kaylin and like kennedy and mckenzie and Mm -hmm. like it's coming yeah it hasn't already like these these women have with these names (laughs) are coming of age Mm -hmm. shit's not working out the way they thought it would because their parents named them jaylin and (laughs) now they are dancing for money again no no shame in the game like yeah getting back to crystal spencer she's i i from where i'm standing she's doing exceedingly well for herself was she a working actress no was she financially doing a lot better than most working actresses she was heck yeah so uh anyway so we get um patty joe millhouse here is crystal's friend um (laughs) patty joe looks like a woman i've seen screaming in the ralph's parking lot Anywho, um, a couple years later, she gets invited. Crystal does, not Patty Joe. I assume Patty Joe was there. Gets invited to this backyard barbecue um, where she was, quote, very excited to like mingle with anyone who could help make her a star. Um, hate to break it to you, sis. Probably not where you're gonna meet those people. <laughs> at a backyard barbecue. Um. And since she meets this old ass creep named Anton Klein, who, by the way, is probably like 20 years older than Crystal was when they met. But the guy in the reenactment is even older than the actual guy. (laughs) He is. 
So there's like a 60 year old man with like a 25 year old woman. And it's odd. A 60 year old Uh, man who's cited as being a screenwriter and PhD student. uh Um, so unemployed. (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm just saying, you know, who was working for her money? Crystal was working for her money. Okay. I don't know what Anton was doing. Maybe he's living on a grant. I don't know. Maybe he comes for money, whatever. So all those uh, trips they took to museums and art galleries and concerts. Who was who? Do you think was paying for all that? Then was. Mm-hmm. You think you think you think he was getting her to pay for? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. But Crystal was really afraid that this this classy old man Anton <laughs> would be really upset if he found out she was a dancer. Um. So Crystal was like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta find my way out of this. Um, four months after they start hanging out, like she finally tells Anton and he's like shocked, but he's like not upset, you know, according to, uh, him, I guess. Yeah. Um, anyway. Well, you know, I, the thing is. I could see him like, you know, it's not something to be pleased by, but it's something he would accept because clearly what he was trying to do with like taking her to all this cultural stuff, Mm -hmm. he was trying to do a pretty woman on her. And, and like, I think like the reason he was basically okay with it when he found out it was an exotic dancer was in his Mm -hmm. mind. It's like, wow, it's making it even closer to being a pretty woman situation. Had Pretty Woman come out by this time? I think it came out about the same time. No, Pretty Woman came out in 90, right? Um, Here, I will look look that up. Okay. Real quick. Well, anyway, fast forwarding to the story. So Anton, according to Anton, uh, says that Crystal had um, perhaps taken a job, I guess an acting job. I'm not really sure what kind of job. Uh, mm-hmm. In Japan. Actually, what Unsolved Mystery says is the Orient. <laughs> and then they clarify it's Japan. <laughs> oh, God. I, I missed that. They actually said Orient, huh? Yeah, they really did. Um, Unsolved Mystery said that, not Anton. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A pre- oh, Pretty Woman was 1990. So. Okay, well, this is about the same time. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah and, and I mean, you know, it's not necessarily uh, that he was going like, to replicate that film, but like, you uh-huh. know, I could see a guy who's like, Oh, well, I'm going to help classy up this young lady, uh, yeah. sort of thing. Um, so the last time Anton says that he sees crystal, he goes over to her apartment. She tells him she's got a cold. Um, so she's just like, Oh, we shouldn't smooch. Cause I got a cold. And he's like, okay. And then, um, she says that she might be going to Japan. Uh, and then Anton's like, Oh, that sucks for me, but I'm like, glad you were doing that. Uh, yeah. And then a couple of days go by and he starts calling. He hasn't heard from her and he calls her phone and the operator says it's busy. I guess that was a thing that still happened in the late eighties. And (laughs) uh, he can't get through to her anyway. Um, about a week after he last sees her, the police discover Crystal's body uh, mm. in her apartment. 
Um, mm. The conclusion that the coroner first comes to is that she had died of natural causes, which doesn't make a ton of sense. And then we get further into this and we find out some neighbors um, the, at about 4 a.m. on the night after Anton and Les talked to Crystal had heard like screaming and moaning and stuff. Yeah. It like woke them up out of sleep. And so the wife neighbor was like, we should call the police. And then the husband neighbor was like, don't get involved. <laughs> and then they find her body. And so now who's the asshole? Seriously. These people, they do, they should not be, be living in Los Angeles to show that level of callousness towards their fellow human beings. That's a Dayton, Nevada. attitude. <laughs> Really? I, I can't even count the number of times, you know, I've been in my house and I've heard like gunshots off in the distance and I get oh, up, well. maybe get up and look out the window and then be like, eh, it's none of my affair. <laughs> and then resume yeah, what I was well, doing. Well, I think where you live, though, it's more likely people just be shooting, not necessarily at each other. <laughs> true, true. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, and like, uh, I just want to talk about these, these, these two people. Yeah. The woman to me looks like if if Catherine Hicks was about 20 years younger than what she was at that at the time and uh -huh. blonde. Uh-huh. And the dude looks like Paul Provenza. I don't know who either of those people are. Okay, Catherine Hicks was the woman who played the mom in Home Alone. Like what? if it, I thought that was Kath, uh, uh, Catherine O'Hara. Oh shit! Was I saying Hicks? Oh, okay, yeah. Kath Did you Ka mean Catherine O'Hara? I meant Catherine O'Hara. Sorry, okay. that was coming out wrong. Gotcha. <laughs> but okay, imagine her blonde, and you know, uh -huh. knock off a decade or something. Uh -huh. Like, if you look at this woman, like, can you kind of see it at least in the eyes? Am I crazy? Um. Well, let me let me get to that. Let me get to that. And I guess since you, you don't know who Paul Provenza, Provenza no, is. No, I think, I don't know. The neighbor's like more of a babe than like. Well, that's why I said, her. you know, knock a decade off the, the age. And mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, the male neighbor's name is Jet, though. I know. <laughs> what a ridiculous fucking name. Well, okay. So they don't call the cops and she winds up dead. They So getting Anton, I assume to cover his ass. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, requests a copy of the autopsy report. <laughs> oh, did I just imply something? Whoa. Um, um okay. Yeah. I, I, I take mean, it. I you're going to have a hot take at the end I of have, this segment. I have a hot take. Mm. Uh, I guess, I guess in the autopsy report, um, that was given to Anton, um, Crystal was listed as being five foot seven, as we see in the reenactment. And as he mentions, you know, she was a very petite woman. She was under five feet tall. Um, and they also described, they also describe, and they show the, they show the print of the autopsy report. They show, mm -hmm. they say that she was a very well-nourished, uh, like 175 pounds or something. Yeah. Or 165 pounds or something. But again, he says, you know, Crystal was maybe like a buck 20 at that. So mm -hmm. she didn't gain 50 pounds and grow seven inches when she died. <laughs> so then they get the DA back on. The DA's like, well, it was probably clerical error. We don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> they were saying he was like, the coroner's office is busy. That's yeah. basically what he said. Yeah. 
Um, okay. So we, we don't really have, uh, at the end of this, other than the screaming and moaning that the neighbors heard, which obviously, and then they went and told the cops after the body was recovered and their cops were like, Oh, cool. Okay. And like, didn't do anything with that information. Didn't follow up anything. And then Anton mentions like getting on the phone with the police to be Mm -hmm. like, the fuck's going on with this autopsy report. And he says that the police officer said to him on the phone, whoever it was that like, you know, well, bad things happen to bad girls. Click. Uh, I don't, I honestly don't know if I believe that that's what happened. What happened? Well, I imagine you're going to tell us, uh, 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 what you think happened (laughs) um you don't think that anton had anything to do with this uh well certainly it was a possibility that was rattling around in my head um i just don't know what what the motivation was well he wanted her to stop dancing he may have had an argument with her well, I, I, I mean, like if she's pulling in four hundred dollars a night, man, she's going to be able to afford to like buy you all sorts of concert tickets. Yeah, but dudes get jealous and like. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Like this is this is an old story of, like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I I I guess I guess if I, the, the to me the more likelihood was he didn't want her going to japan yeah or they just got in an argument and things got out of hand yeah that could that could be it as well and then in order to cover his tracks he's like requesting this information he goes to where she works to be like oh i haven't heard from her yeah he really lucked out that the uh the police department (laughs) really dropped the ball on this one like because it can make he really can like seem like he's the one who's crusading for uh, mm-hmm. uh, an investigation here. Yeah, and I think further by going on Unsolved Mysteries, he covers his butt even more. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me of the f- very first episode that we talked about. Oh, God, get, was it? Where was, they interviewed the husband. What was his name? Gail? Yeah. Yeah, my life's been pretty good since my wife mm-hmm. <laughs> disappeared. And it's like the audacity of going on national television I think this guy's more is probably smarter. Yeah. You know? Also, Robbie. Well, yeah, he didn't say my life's been so much better since she died. No, I think this is all him covering his butt. Either he is either directly involved or he knows what happened. Mm hmm. Um, Robbie, listen, if I ever die of murder, uh, can you please make sure my autopsy report does not describe me as well nourished? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. (laughs) <laughs> that's just really I guess that's better than saying like obese <laughs> I wonder that standard procedure in that office like it would really seem insensitive if we put fat so we'll just put well nourished yeah can you make sure can you make sure to cross it out and just write thick instead I'd appreciate that thank you I, I will I will try to, to make that a thing okay thank you so much <laughs> Uh, do, so yeah, what do you th- like think happened here? Well, if it's not Anton, well, the thing was, is I thought like 
when when we discovered that she was killed in her apartment, I was a little surprised because I thought what was going to happen was that this job in Japan was going to turn out to be some sort of human trafficking thing, mm-hmm. uh, which it turned out not to be. No. Um, but then even like, I don't know, as, as much as, as great as it is that she's pulling in $400 a, a month, I mean, a, a night uh-huh. <laughs> potentially from the exotic dancing, I got to think that there's probably a lot of not so great people in that world. Yeah. So that's yeah. always yeah. a possibility. I I think so too. So that's why I'm thinking like maybe if Anton wasn't the perpetrator, maybe he knows more than like he's letting on. It could be, know? yeah. The reenactment they have where he goes into the the strip club, like, have you seen Crystal? Have you seen Crystal? And they were like, which one? <laughs> Yeah, they're like, uh, they're like that doesn't that that doesn't help us. You need to tell us more. Specify, please. Uh, <laughs> the thing is, is which which is more depressing? Because at least uh, I mean, this one doesn't have any. Oh, there's no update. By yeah. the way, <laughs> no update. No She's update. Still dead, I guess. So somebody, Anton, <laughs> got away with it. We uh, we got a, a really interesting segment next because like it starts out with people who turn out not to be the subject of the story. Um, it's right. just a, what? No, I'm just agreeing with you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, just this couple that are driving along uh, in the countryside of um, where the hell was this at? Um, let's say Michigan. Yeah, yeah. That that'll do. <laughs> Cold wa- 12 miles outside of Coldwater, Michigan. Oh, wow. So it really Cold was star Michigan. for me. Okay. So this couple's driving. Out- they're what? Just out for a drive, right? Enjoying yeah, this the- is. They explain they do this every Sunday or whatever. Um, This couple, they go and they drive around and they have like a fun game that they play with license plates. Oh, I, d- I didn't even. I somehow missed the license plate aspect of it. That's interesting. This is a huge feature of the story. <laughs> God, yeah. Well, they I, make I, little I, like little songs and rhymes out of people's license plates. I don't. How did I miss all that? Anyway, so they get run into the situation where this van uh, pulls up behind them and then shoots ahead of them, mm-hmm. right? And they're like, "Geez." He must be in a hurry. Right. Because so, his his license plate started with GZ. So that was part of the game. Oh. Uh, yeah. I mean, the Thorntons. Really I, I, like I need to rewatch couple. this segment. What the hell? How did I not catch it? The Thorntons are a real treat in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Because they're just out for a drive, and now they're solving a crime. Yeah. So they end up catching up to where this van was. It's parked near an old school. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and they see the guy who was presumably driving it carrying a bundle that looks like bloody sheets. Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, like way more than like, like period sheets, like a lot of blood. Yeah. Yeah. This is, the, <laughs> this is like Sam Raimi 
levels yeah. of blood. This is like murder amount, not menstrual amount. Okay. Just... <laughs> um, and then you know they they they're they're seeing they see this as they go by, and later on the van catches up with them, mm-hmm. and menacingly like tailgates them mm-hmm. till they finally they 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 t- turn off the main road, and then they the van pulls off to to the side while they're going down the road. Mm-hmm. They come back and they see the guy driving the van, changing the license plates on the the van, and the door is open on the passenger side, and there's Mm -hmm. blood splattered everywhere. Yeah, it's pretty gruesome. And they they are obviously convinced that something wrong has has very wrong has happened. Well, and they are a hundred percent correct. Yeah, yeah. Now it's funny when I was when I was watching this. Mm-hmm. Something distinct, like I had this very distinct feeling, um, to, and I'm actually a little disappointed when I looked looked up the the case on the wiki because it actually mentions that the thing I thought this was related to turned out to actually have been the case. Have, 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 you, have you have you did you did you look up the wiki for this? I didn't. No. What okay. Did, what did I miss? All right. So, so far, what you've just seen, does that seem like the plot of any movie you've watched? Maybe. (laughs) Okay. Well, obviously, I guess I better just cut to the chase here. Okay. There was a very so-so horror movie back over a decade ago called uh, Jeepers Creepers. Uh Uh-huh. And... Basically, the opening of that film is this brother and sister driving. This vehicle pulls up behind them and shoots ahead. Then when they they pass, they they catch up to it and they see some sort of figure tossing a body down a a hole by an abandoned building. And later the vehicle catches up with them is like terrorizing them on the road. So when I was watching this segment, I thought to myself, holy shit. The person who wrote Jeepers Creepers plagiarized this unsolved mystery segment. And and actually, like, the wiki confirms that this, uh, or that, you know, that it's been theorized that this is the, the you know, other people, this has occurred to other people. Like, that people have theorized that this this unsolved mystery segment was the inspiration for the movie Jeepers Creepers. Shit. Yeah. Which I mean, I'm beginning to one that leads me to wonder, like, how many movies do you think have have been, have been based off someone who had watched Unsolved Mysteries and this particular segment stuck with them for a decade? I don't know. Probably, probably more coming up. I yeah. think. Yeah, I think so. Um. Yeah, I don't. It's an interesting question. I mm-hmm. mean, that's something I haven't really been like attuned to to this point. But yeah. Now I'm definitely going to be looking out for it. Yeah. Anyway, so <clears throat> they go back to the the building. They find find she, bloody sheets stuffed into some sort of animal burrow, and we got ourselves a a, a murder. Mm-hmm. And then we we sort of the segment then jumps back in time, and we get to learn about the. How's their name pronounced? The Depew family? Depew, yeah. Dennis and Marilyn. Mm -hmm. 
Dennis was, uh, he did something, right? And Marilyn. He had a job? Yeah, some sort of job. And Marilyn was uh, was a high school guidance counselor. I don't know. I I I feel like it was <laughs> <Sorry>. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I feel like that was the case because I remember at the time, like I was watching the segment. Immediately, it, it reminded me of um, when I went to high school. Uh, where I went to high school, we had this guidance counselor at one point, and a friend told me that like prior to working at the high school. She had worked with his father at like a utility company. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and apparently her husband was horribly abusive. Oh, geez. So, yeah. So, like, at one point, her husband called up the utility company office um, to, because uh, he wanted to speak with his wife. And my friend's father is the one who picked up the phone. And mm-hmm. he picked up, and the guy was like, guys. Uh, so-and-so there and and he's like no no she's not well who's this and as a um sort of curt joke Mm -hmm. the guy was like um uh my friend's father said uh response was oh well this is her this is her boyfriend Mm -hmm. and like the guy like was like and click Mm mm-hmm and the next day, uh, uh, um, she showed up to work and she had like bruises all over her face. Oh my God. And she asked, uh, my friend's father, like, did you say anything to my husband yesterday about being my boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I bet he felt terrible. Yeah. 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 Like, well, as soon as like he, he said it, like. The, the reaction he got on the phone and the click, he realized he had just fucked up really badly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. Well, I mean, I think what's unusual about the Depew situation, at least according to his children, is that, at least to their knowledge, Dennis hadn't been like verbally or physically abusive or anything yeah it's it's a really strange situation it's it's different from many of the past thing segments yeah. we've had on the show it's like it's more like he they just he didn't want to they did they didn't talk to each other yeah ever yeah <laughs> and like and if i if i recall correctly when when it came to when when like a, the divorce was being uh um was going through basically like with all the different stipulations he was basically yeah sure whatever she wants Mm uh you know custody of kids whatever amount of the property property she wants which like i'm i'm listening to all this and like what what why is he just like caving in on everything but it kind of i don't know maybe it was my the sort of conjecture i put together was like maybe he was doing this to create a false sense of security so that like, cause he still, he, they, he was still allowed to have an office inside the house. I think it was like a, like a mother-in-law unit. Oh, okay. Like a garage that okay. he had his office in. So he yeah. wasn't allowed in the house. Like, um, Marilyn had all the locks changed and stuff. Yeah. 
So part of part of what she, well, at least her friends telling of it was sometimes Marilyn, after having had the locks change, would just like come home and find Dennis like on the couch watching TV. Yeah. Which is c- creepy as hell. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um. So his his kids like kind of don't in the big really didn't seem to want much to do with him in general yeah they have a reenactment where the kids are going out uh, uh with their father for the weekend and they're getting into the the van and the mom's like make sure to wear your coats and meanwhile we cut to like the eldest daughter getting in on the passenger side front seat and just like the the standard kid plopping themselves down into a seat so right. so totally not interested in being there well, finally, this develops to like where one of the one of the weekends, one of the kids is like, just said, "I'm not gonna go." Yeah, which precipitates Dennis flying into a rage mm-hmm. in the house, trying to get his kids out, and he starts dragging his son. I guess. Yeah, because his son was like, "Well, if Julie doesn't have to go. Right. Why? Why should I have to?" And so the mom steps in. Mm-hmm. To this situation, well, at least in the reenactment, which I have to imagine because the kids were an eyewitness to this entire situation, it has to be pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, he shoves her and she falls, the mom falls down the basement stairs. Yeah. And then, um, he, the Dennis goes to the bottom of the stairs and starts wailing on her basically and then drags her back upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, the kids are uh, understandably in total shock, but one of them runs to the neighbor's house to call the sheriff. So good yeah. thinking. Yeah. I think it was the oldest daughter who interviewed <coughs> in the segment. And mm-hmm. then uh, so Dennis drags the mom out because she, she's not walking on her own to the van saying we're going to go to the hospital. Um, they don't make it to the hospital. Obviously, we know what happens. <laughs> yes. <because laughs> the Thorntons happen upon it. So so basically um from this point forward i mean um, like a manhunt was launched immediately and they were not able to locate dennis but this manhunt was going on with like helicopters and stuff at the same time the thorntons were out driving around Mm -hmm. uh so they know what kind of car they're looking for where the segment originally ended i'm sure is just the call to action like we're looking for this guy right well and, and uh the other thing I thought worthy of note up to this mm-hmm. point was like, cause he started turning in sending mailing let, uh, let right. letters. Yeah. And they were postmarked from like all kinds of States, Virginia, Iowa, yeah. Oklahoma. Yeah. And he's mailing them to like Marilyn's family, her friends, mm-hmm. uh, and even his coworker. Yeah. He had a coworker who's in the segment. That's like, this escalated quickly right well yeah the co-worker was like yeah you know on most days dennis and i would just talk about stuff at work and then one day he came in he was like talking about murder and suicide yeah um but yeah these letters are basically like lame attempts to justify what he did mm-hmm. uh, you know, he's like i've you know lots of like out of context bible stuff like mm-hmm. eye for an eye tooth for a tooth a lie for a lie and a life for a life. But Robbie, there's an update. Yeah. There's an extensive update. <laughs> this is one of the greatest updates 
in the history of unsolved mysteries. <laughs> I mean, it is juicy. This is one of my favorite things we've seen on this show up to this point. Do you like it more than the update we got from the prison break one? With the, uh, uh, the couple on the lamb, the prison guard broke the guy out, and then they, like, break into the hotel room, and there's a Wendy's cup. Is it more favorite than that? Oh, uh, yes. I mean, that one was okay. good, and this is in the same vein, but this one, this one just has an extra edge because mm-hmm. of how they... Well, go ahead and start describing it, and I'll, I'll break in when... Well, now in the update, we have another reenactment. <laughs> and we're interviewing a woman who's calling herself Mary. She's she's in the shadows, understandably. So um, she, I don't remember what state this is in Texas at this point. She yeah, started sure. in Michigan and this is in Texas. <clears throat> yeah. Um, she comes home from work. She pulls up in the stanza and to her boyfriend who is already home who suspiciously has a van that looks like the one in the beginning of the segment. Mm-hmm. Um, and she walks in the house and the TV's on. And uh, this man who has a very obviously fake bushy mustache as a disguise. <laughs> uh, and it's going by the name of something queen, like Mike Queen or something. And I think Hank. Hank Queen. So it's a shame he didn't go by Hank Hill. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) Hank Queen with the fake mustache. Anyway. Uh, Okay, so Mary's like, hey, sweetheart, what's going on? And Hank's like, ah, my mom's sick. I got to get out of here. Don't come in the living room. Make me some sandwiches, ho. I need a soda. I want this kind of sandwich. He's like, and Mary's like, okay. And then so he gets all of it. He's like packing up all of his stuff. Yeah. And she's like, oh, can I walk you to the car? And he's like, yeah, 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 sure, whatever. And, <laughs> and then um, and then uh, Mary's like, can I have a hug? And he's like, yeah, sure. And he gives her like a quick hug and grabs his sandwiches and like drives away. And she's like, I knew like I'd never see him again. Mm-hmm. Something was very wrong. Um, so I wasn't her, but it was someone else in the area that night because Oh, by the way, the television had been on to Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> they segment. show the original segment on the screen. Yeah. They cut to it several times. We're like, he's he's frantically like trying to get ready, and she's in the kitchen. And he's like, yeah. now, do you think, like, so do you think the sandwich re- request was primarily because he did legitimately need sandwiches first? Or is it was it more like, I got to think of something for her to, like, do to keep her out of the living room? I don't know why he didn't just turn the television off. <laughs> well, may, I guess, you know, when you panic, sometimes you don't think yeah, totally I guess logically. So. Also, the sandwiches she was making looked, like, really bad. <laughs> it was, yeah. like, one thin slice of, like, ham and too much mayo on two pieces of white bread. It was, like, too much bread to meat. It was not good. Yeah, those were not very appealing sandwiches at all. Um... Yeah. So anyway, someone else uh, who had seen um, Hank Queen slash Dennis DePew around town, I think it was the one that called into the authorities at that point. And it was Missis. It was he was close enough to the Mississippi. No, Louisiana state line. It was Louisiana. the Mississippi Louisiana state line. 
Yeah. Yeah. He was he was close enough to that that they uh, called they like they alerted authorities in the area to the van and what the Texas plates he had. And uh, it was I think it was a Louisiana Stadies that uh, got him in the end. And mm. they basically had a standoff with him and um, Dennis uh, killed himself in the van. Yep. This so. is pretty dang satisfying. <laughs> um, I think it would have been more satisfying to throw his ass in jail, but yeah, you know he he never other than he never really faced accountability. I mean, he did kill himself, but I think that was more to like stay out of jail than right. Or maybe he just didn't want to face what he had done. He seemed to like lay blame at everyone's feet but his own. Yeah. You know, I like so. the I like the mental image of him seeing the segment and just like totally flipping out. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I'm also like this man was a scary looking man. <laughs> this is not. Yeah, he was not a a, a charming looking no. guy. And then like a couple of months, presumably a couple of months after he's killed his wife and made a new life somewhere else, he's got a living girlfriend. I'm like, ladies, what are we doing out here? Come on. <laughs> what are we doing? I'm just glad that Mary's safe. I'm glad yeah. that she's okay. Yeah. <sighs> Wherever she may be. Yeah, and hopefully she... she's making better decisions. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully, yeah. From this point forward in her life. Uh, Robbie, well, maybe if she learned to make a better sandwich, she might find a better man. <laughs> that Point taken. <laughs> Valid. (laughs) Trashy sandwiches catch trashy men. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, how can people get in touch with us? Well, go to Twitter at ReenactedPod. Interact with us there. Go to Facebook at ReenactedFans. You can send us an email at ReenactedPod at gmail.com. Check us out at Patreon. Well, how how do uh, Patreon? We're uh, what is it? Patreon.com slash reenacted pod if you want to become a rumper. Um, and we're putting like I've been putting tracks or sorry, our episodes out a little bit early when I can on that feed. So if you want to listen to us early, we also put like special episodes. Sometimes Robbie will send you some things. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. there's all kinds of little treats for the rumpers on Patreon. Yes. <laughs> uh, and what else? Five stars, iTunes. You like like what's in your ears? Oh, did you uh, did you see? Uh, we had a recent, well, not I mean one of the more more recent uh, comments. We got a five star review on iTunes. Oh. And someone left a, a their whole feedback thing was about the Farina era. Oh, I did see that. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that person understood what they were reviewing was our podcast, not the <laughs> show Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. <laughs> well, yeah, no, no. I mean, it was it was very much written in the sort of like obviously a homage to our like when we say fuck Farina, but we 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 caveat that we don't actually have anything against no, him. No, it's like fuck Farina, but also rest in peace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And their their uh, and their their comment was like, yeah, you know, I don't have anything against Farina, but it's just you know, the, 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 it's it's not the same as when Robert Stack was the host. Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, yeah, yeah, and it never will be. 
No. Hey, Robbie, do you want to do the thing? For every mystery, there's someone somewhere who has that final piece of information. Tune in next week for Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs>